Yo, what's going on, you guys? What's up? It's me, it's your buddy, it's your boy, it's your pal, it's that good friend of yours, John Omilo, back at it again with another episode of the Cry Baby Sleep Podcast. As always, thank you guys all so much for coming around and checking out this content. From the bottom of my heart, thank you guys all so much, man. It really honestly means a lot to me, as you know, the show keeps doing doing what it's doing. So, so um, you know, I just I just wanted to take a minute and just say thanks to you guys. I really honestly appreciate it, you know, and I hope you enjoy, you know, today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the content and I'll catch you guys all after the bump. Right. Peace. Yo. All right. Cool. We are in the house. Awesome. Sweet. Sweet as, as some folks like to say. Cool. Wonder who's up and around, up and about, and about. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, the last time I sat down and did a stream, uh, there was just some issues with the um, face cam. You know what I'm saying? So, um probably gonna lay off until uh, doing you know doing a face cam doing webcam stuff until i figure out that whole situation and see how that one's gonna pan out a little bit more which is which is not a problem it's not an issue uh, i have no beef with that right there this is kind of how that one goes i was gonna save this one for um a recording of the podcast which i'll probably still end up doing but Man, I just wanted to kind of just like jazz around with folks and uh, see what was up and see what folks were um, up to at this hour. I hadn't checked what time it is in the United States yet, so I don't know um, where folks are on that. I, I have no idea. It's probably some, as always, it's probably some ungodly hour where people can't <laughs> come and, and, <laughs> and check the stream. <laughs> That's like one of my biggest beefs about doing this is that like every time like I, you know, I come, I come on air. I'm always like, oh, I, I wonder what time it is in the United States or whatever. But then it's like no one is ever like, it's so always like, oh, I'll do it at two. It's nine o'clock at night. Oh, I'll do it at five. It's, you know what I mean? It's five, it's seven in the morning or whatever, you know, however that 14 hour time different work works. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I probably should have just Googled that one. <laughs> but yeah, that that's fine. Wondering who's all out there in TV land who's uh checking out the stream or whatever if you're around um shoot me a word say what's up you know say howdy hi or whatever and um you know we'll have we'll have a chat we'll we'll, we'll hang out you know that, that that'd be cool you know if you're out there if you can hear me say you know say hey say howdy you know whatever shoot me a message i can read it here uh that's that's what the setup is for <laughs> um yeah, it's it's a bummer. I should have did this episode sooner. I waited so freaking long. Waited, you know, weeks and weeks to to pump this one out. But I guess I'll just go ahead and I'll just I'll just give it a shot. I'll just give a read through on this. I feel pretty confident in it. I mean, I wrote the freaking thing. So yeah, maybe this one will it'll bring a little bit of insight or whatever for folks. And uh, it might be it might be cool. Um, we'll, we'll see. Not, not totally sure, but, um, there is this amazing publication called, uh, green, green left weekly. 
And um, uh, during the time of the uh, Dayton shooting, I ended up uh, writing this article. Um, but I, I feel like I'm not totally sure. I feel like I should. Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and I'll just say this now. I'll probably save it for an episode of the podcast so people can go back and listen. Not to this stream necessarily, but I have the uh, I have the episode up for folks to to listen to at, at a different time. But yeah, I ended up writing this um, article. And um, I mean, as you can tell, you can read it on the screen right here. Um, white terrorism in the U.S. through the lens of Dayton, Ohio, which is my hometown. And yeah, I really honestly, this is like, you know, I mean, because it's like so far in the rear view because it was like already, you know, they, they already caught so many other um, shooters and things. It was another shooting in Texas, you know, um, after the Dayton, Ohio and the El Paso shooting. I make reference to it in this article as well. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's just so many, there's so many moving parts. I try, I tried my best, um, with this article in particular is to, to, to try to draw on some other things. You know what I'm saying? I tried to make it into this thing where it's like, I, I really wanted people to know that, um, there was like these other moving parts, you know, cause I, I see so much, I see this all the time. I always see people being like, oh, you know, oh, why does this happen? How does this happen? You know what I mean? And people don't really, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying like an, an eagle eye, like bird's eye view of, you know, these, these national tragedies. But what I am saying is that, um, you can, you can look at something and you can look at this, this topic in particular, um, through through the lens of like a city like Dayton, Ohio, and then you can kind of see like not only this like radical history of like labor politics and, and race and all these other things like all kind of playing themselves out at the same time, but you can you can really honestly see how they play out um, on the on a national scale, you know, and you can be like, oh, these are the types of issues that can lead to, you know, um. Uh, you know, the, these killers coming out on the street, you know what I mean? And, and mowing down people with assault weapons. But that seems to be enough preamble for the story. Let's go ahead and I'll, I'll just go ahead and I'll just jump right into it. White terrorism in the U.S. through the lens of Dayton, Ohio, written by yours truly back in, you know, back in, uh, back in August. Yeah, it's a little, little behind the number, but whatever, you know. And yeah, there it is. There's Ned Peppers and the whole thing. Man, this whole thing's the same. I was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, I spent many days in the historic Oregon district and my formative years being entertained by the culture of the inner city as of generations of residents. What took place on August 4th in my hometown was horrific. I'm among many who stand in support and solidarity with those who lost lives, or lost loved ones and friends, those whose lives changed that day and were left with deeply scarring lifetime impacts. Dayton has historically been a place of racial unrest and shootings. What is needed now is an examination of what occurred and the factors that have affected the city in a number of ways since its post-industrial downturn. The shootings in Dayton um, are a jaw-dropping illustration of what, hap what happens when the United States turns its back on its problems and they continue to mount when white supremacy is seen as foundational to the formation of the U U.S. Connor Betts murdered 10 people and injured 27 others on his rampage, hundreds of people enjoying the nightlife Entertainment and dining were forced to flee for their lives as he opened fire with an illegally, uh, legally uh, purchased AR-15 style semi-automatic rifle. 
but's then headed to Ned Pepper's bar, a venue reportedly frequented by black people. Six out of the nine people killed at the bar were African-American. Betts was killed by authorities who have not yet confirmed a motive for the mass shooting that that was at the that was at the time. I think I think as of now, with, uh, you know, the death of, of Connor Betts, I'm, I'm not totally sure. I mean, because it was like so much focus was on the El Paso shooting. I don't think people really actually came around to being like, oh, what was his motivation for for doing this? You know what I'm saying? I don't think I don't think that actually really came about. I don't think people had like really started like inspecting that you know what i'm saying i don't i don't think that that was one of the things i think it was so like kind of like just like set on uh patrick the el paso shooter and you know him spelling out trump with his weapons and you know what i mean him you know talking about this like latin this this latin and you know, the latin immigration issues and all that stuff and his manifesto and i really don't think that there was like you know people had kicked up the carpet and you know was like looking under the rug about connor I think that's still kind of like the case as, you know, things continue to kind of push forward like into where we are now. Um, but many social media users immediately began to speculate that Betts was angry that his sister, 22 year old Megan Betts, who was also killed, was dating a black man. And he has specifically targeted black people during the massacre. Now, again, I don't think people had really come out and was like, yeah, that was like his motivation completely. I think it's just like a, oh, like we don't know type situation, you know. But if that many people um, where you were out there on your rampage were black, like how else are you supposed to take that? You know what I mean? And I think that's like I, I had seen this recently. I wish I had the um, I wish at the time I probably should have uh, I probably should have opened this up at a tab, but I saw this recently. I can't remember if it was Congress or if it was the House of Representatives, but I, I feel like there was a, um, a a person that came out recently that was talking about how we need to start looking at all of these and start filing them as like you know not only as like as domestic terrorism, but like, you know like all like a, the good majority of the shootings need to be looked at, like. Um, you know, like they're, you know, white supremacists, you know, um, terrorist attacks. That's what, you know, people really honestly need to do. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like that's like, you know, things are moving forward on that front. From what I remember, maybe somebody will be able to tell me later. But yeah, um, like how else are you supposed to take that? You know what I'm saying? How else are you supposed to take this guy, you know, gunning down these people or whatever? You know what I mean? And the good majority of the people he shot were black. How, how are you supposed to look at that? If, you know, the good majority of the people... You know, was shot, say something, you know, knock on wood, say something happened in like, you know, Chicago or something like that. And this person that goes into a Chinese neighborhood and, you know, it starts attacking these people in the nightlife, you know, uh, what are you going to call that? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if, if it's just it's just funny to me that, like, you know, people can make race into a factor whenever they want to, you know, that's. That that always kind of just like rubs me in, in one way or another. Where I'm just always sort of just like, hmm, you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we are on that whole thing. This motive is unfortunately not far fetched, considering the racist and white supremacist views of the gunmen and other sh mass shootings in the weeks before Dayton. Yeah, because there was the um, that garlic festival shooting, and then there, you know, there was El Paso. Just two months prior to the shooting, a chapter of the white supremacist hate group, the Honorable Sacred Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, held a rally on Dayton's courthouse stairs. The Dayton shooting occurred less than 24 hours after El Paso shooter Patrick Crucius posted his manifesto online, which said he was resisting 
the Hispanic invasion of Texas and massacred 22 people. Betsy's ex-girlfriend claimed he had heard menacing voices in his head since he was young. She suspected something was off about her boyfriend and had heard stories at Bellbrook High School about a hit list that Betts had allegedly compiled. Several of Betts' former high school classmates said that he had, a, had created a rape list. Some blame authorities for not holding him accountable upon discovering it. Yeah, I mean, like if you're if you're a high school student, you know, and that's those are like your sort of motivation motivations. You know what I'm saying? That you do that like around your like around the student body, you know, like other teenagers and stuff. You're like writing a, like a rape list. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, dude, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm not saying like at, at that point where it's like, oh, you know, there was like something up with him or whatever. I feel like maybe, you know, if this thing was like nipped in the bud properly during that time, you know, we wouldn't be sitting in the place that we are today. But the fact of the matter is, that you know, it remains that like, you know, that that ball was fumbled by not only, um, you know, Bellbrook High School, but, you know, the um, the 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 parents, you know, Connor's parents and you know what I'm saying? Like these uh, these teachers that are a part of these advisory boards and things. You know what I'm saying? Because you get like behavioral, you know, you get it. I'm, I'm not saying it's probably like, you know, massively in, in depth. You know, I can't say that because, you know, I'm not I'm not a teacher. But, you know, I'm sure that there's like, you know, some some aspects where people kind of check in about the, you know, the psychological evaluations of the students and that sort of stuff. If, you know, if it comes up on your radar and that's a big red flag. You know, you're writing out hit lists and all this stuff like in the school. So like, was this just like a matter of just like time and place for him or would he have turned on all the students? You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like that whole thing is just like, you know, it's just a massive fumble. You know, it's just a massive fumble there. Um, regardless of Bet's views on politics and his horrific actions, which will reshape the city for generations to come, he is just a fragment of several interwoven obstacles facing the region, including right wing apologists, influence on gun control, deep seated racism and economic turmoil. Yeah, the, there's 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 one thing about this whole thing with with Connor Betts that um, I, I just thought was so, you know, like when I wrote this, you know what I'm saying? I did not want to spend that much time talking about how he was like an Elizabeth fucking Warren supporter. Like, I really don't give two fucks about that sort of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like fucking Elizabeth Warren. Like, really? You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. Like, and that's like were people's motivations for trying to call him a leftist is disgusting. It was, it was a terrible idea. You know what I mean? Absolutely horrible idea. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, being an Elizabeth Warren supporter does not make you uh, to a leftist of any fucking form whatsoever. I, 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 there was like this whole thing that broke down on my Facebook. This was, I think was around the same time last month. And there was there, that was like another prominent issue there. You know what I'm saying? Where um, like people were trying to say that like Elizabeth Warren was some sort of, you know, like left leaning figure or whatever. And um, I saw an article, a friend of mine had posted it like within the comments. And it was like up until recently, she most of most of the time she voted down the ticket, like, you know what I mean? Republican. She, she voted down the ticket conservative, you know. And it's just like the climate of the party is kind of like what started making her shift to the center, you know? So like how the hell is, you know, that that makes you a leftist? Like, ser like seriously, her of all people, you know what I mean? And all her fumbles and, you know what I mean? And all the issues and beef that people have with her as a candidate, you know, going into 2020, that makes you a, a leftist now? Like, it's just, it's just gross, man.
like do and then you know like a handful of tweets like a handful of fucking tweets you know what i'm saying and some memes and shit don't make you into a fucking leftist dog like that's not how any of this works you know what i mean like reading some goddamn tumblr posts and getting into fights on facebook don't make you into a fucking leftist it never has it never will you know but um uh, and, and I'm not trying to sit here. And when I say that, I'm not trying to sit here and say that there's some like, you know, I'm not trying to do some like gatekeeping thing or anything like that, where somebody's going to turn around and listen to this later and be like, oh, man, you know, uh, John has all these like, uh, you know, this this these uh, he thinks there's like this limitation or something like that. You know what I mean? Like on who who gets to do what or whatever. And, and that's not what I'm trying to say either. You know, I'm just trying to say that Connor Betts was not a leftist and anybody who thinks that it's just that easy from just like reading a handful of tweets or whatever or coming up with some really bad takes about where you stand um, politically. That's not what's going to make you into a leftist. You know what I'm saying? You know, study, you know, solidarity with others. You know what I'm saying? Being in the streets with folks, you know what I mean? And you're standing up for what you believe is right and trying to bring change, whether it's, you know, the climate, you know, politically, socially, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? To help out, you know, working class people. That's what makes you a leftist, not, you know, you know, being a contrarian and arguing with people on Twitter that that's not what that's that's not the left, man. We have been so indoctrinated by mainstream media with these sort of fucking horrible fucking ideas and these terrible takes. And now people think that that's, that's some form of activism. You know what I mean? Where you can just sit in front of your computer and just like, bitch. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm calling the kettle there. But you know what I'm saying? Like it, Once I, got, I sort of realized that, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll take to the street too. Ain't nothing wrong with that for me. I will take to the streets too. And I will help out and I will do my best to advocate for people when I can and how I can, you know. And and through that, I've been learning and building and trying to understand because people have deep histories and, you know, and labor movements and, you know, race politics, you know what I mean? People have been fighting, you know, since from before I was born. And all of those people I give mad, I give mad props and respect to, you know what I mean? Bottom line. And I, Connor Betts, you know, hearing his voices in his head and firing off some tweets that that's not none of that makes you a leftist, you know, and even even the whole thing on his mental health. You know what I'm saying? And like him having clearly some issues of you know paranoia or something going on. Right. I'm not trying to sit here and say like, oh, if you have a mental illness, you know what I'm saying? Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't be out there in the streets with people. That's not that's not my take on that either. All I'm trying to say is that this dude just retweeting some stuff and like saying, you know, socialism works in all caps or something like that on his fucking Twitter, that none of that, none of that is what's going to actually like make you into someone who can go, Oh, you know what I mean? I stand with these people or whatever, but let's just keep, let's just keep trekking on, uh, the many hardships of this Rust Belt city in the industrial heartland of the U S um, have been repeatedly investigated since the election of U S president Donald Trump. Even as large parts of the country thrive, unemployment, poverty, and opiate addiction continue to ravage parts of the country, including Dayton. Yeah, man, there's this, I don't even know how to completely put that into focus for people um, uh, in a way that's like really impactful would just be talking about it. You know what I'm saying? But um, there's just like pockets of Dayton where you're just like, I, I don't even know how to put it, man. It's like rough stuff and it's very real, you know, and yeah, you can just you can just see that it's just like written on people's faces. It's like hard times, you know, and, you know, just rubbing pennies together and 
there's not a lot of pretty scenes. You know what I'm saying? And people kind of like shield their eyes from that and you know, run out to the suburbs or whatever. But, you know, like when you're when you're in the city, it's like, man, like this is this is people's stuff, man. And it's real. You know what I mean? The city was once home to car manufacturing giant General Motors, and the city was known as Little Detroit. That was before the auto plants began closing. A few thousand members of the United Auto Workers Local 696 in Dayton went on strike back in 1996 over job security and safety. When GM threatened to outsource their jobs, a 17-day strike took place in two Dayton brake plants, which halted production at more than half of GM's auto assembly factories. That when when I was doing the research for this back in the, you know and realizing that was like what was going on like as I was like a kid in '96 was so fascinating to me. I was like, this is incredible. You know what I'm saying? That like you you want to talk about like the connections to like poverty, and then I, I just find it so apt that like you know the city was like also like I had this like other second moniker of like you know people and you know a part of the auto industry was calling it Little Detroit, and then you know what I mean? A 17 day strike is nothing to laugh at, man. That's hardcore. That's like real, you know, that's the real deal stuff. And you want to talk about poverty. This is like GM and these auto, you know, these these auto factories, you know, these industries, you know, these multinationals punishing the people, you know what I mean? Immediately afterwards, you know what I mean? That that gives them enough provocation to, you know, start pulling jobs from people. You know what I'm saying? A 17 day strike that that would clearly piss off GM. You know what I mean? That would clearly piss off GM. And they'd want they want your union leaders head on a pike. That's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and all I'm really trying to say is that like in 96, just realizing that was like what's going on because I was born in the 80s and then realizing like going into the next decade, that was like labor politics. And, you know, where I grew up, I was just kind of just like blown away by that. And that's like one of those things I wish that I could like either A, have like a fucking time machine or B, I'm trying to find the people that are still around from like that time specifically. And you know, um, seeing where people not only see the city, you know what I'm saying, but they how they see GM and the way you know, you know, the the way things have been downturned since, you know, since their mass exodus from the you know from the area. By 2008, GM had permanently ceased production in Dayton. One of the plants home to the strike has now become a luxury casino. I've been there. It's true. It was so weird. I remember when I got there. You know what I mean? And just like watching people just like gamble their fucking lives away. I was like, holy shit. You know what I'm saying? I was like, dude, this is like where people used to like, you know what I mean? Build, you know what I mean? The build America's future or whatever have you. You know what I mean? With their, you know, their sweat and their fucking blood and these goddamn, you know, in this goddamn place. And this is, this is like what it is now. I was like, wow. You know what I mean? I was like, this is, this is the craziest thing, you know? I'm walking around inside of like a luxury casino and it's like all on the all on the first floor. It's like these are the people who, you know, their their cousins and uncles and stuff all remember this time. You know what I mean? I'm I'm young compared to these people and you guys don't see a problem. You guys are just here, you know, just playing poker machines. I was like, this is nuts, man. It's the craziest thing I'd ever seen. The city of Dayton is also home to Wright Patterson Air Force Base pardon, Air Force Base which has its own active shooter scare last year. The base is the nerve center of U.S. Air Force innovation and has a payroll approaching U.S. $2.3 billion. It is an engine for economic growth in the surrounding area and directly and indirectly accounts for about 14% of the region's economy. It is also home to the Air Force Material Command, a sprawling organization that purchases aircraft, missiles, and other military equipment. In a typical year, 
the command consumes nearly a third of the Air Force's entire budget worth U.S. $184 billion this year. I mean, that's, man, just look at that. It's crazy to think that, like, you know, because I heard that there was like a, um, a study that came out. This was like Newsweek. I think this is like a while ago. It might be 2015 or it could have been 2015, yeah, 2016. Pardon me. Um, not completely, not completely sure on that one. I'll go 100% like what the years was. But if, if people want to go back and they want to Google it or whatever, um, I'm 100% that it was, uh, it, that it is Newsweek though. And yeah, $184 billion, man. That is mammoth. That is so much money. That is piles and piles and endless piles of money to make war machines and weaponry and test out missiles and you know what I mean? And test out jet engines and all this other stuff. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it when I saw that number. I was like, wow, man, that really kind of like lays down everything. But this the, the, the Newsweek article, it was talking about like reparations for African-Americans. And it said it was like, um, I think it said it's like 14 trillion. And the only reason that I said that I say that, I, I think it might be wrong on that. I think it might not be trillion. Maybe it, it, it is. Maybe it is like a few billion or something like that. I think it might be trillion. Let me I'd have to fact check that. But the only reason I brought that up is that like, you know, places like the Air Force Material Command, these are the sort of things where it's like if you were to, you know, I talk about this all, all the time. Like if you were to start decommissioning these fucking war machines and parting them and selling them off and, you know what I mean, doing the fucking right thing and like dis, dismantling these fucking war machines. And taking on all this stuff, those are the sort of things that you can like take that money and be like, oh, wow, now we have all this extra money. Like, what can, you know, what should we, you know, what should we do with it? You know what I mean? And those are, those are the sort of things that you actually could do the right thing with this sort of money. You know what I'm saying? You could fix the fight pipes in, in, in Flint, Michigan with this kind of money. You know what I mean? You could turn around the city of Dayton with this sort of money, but somehow it just keeps getting just, just shoveled, just shoveled into the Air Force base. It's, it's insanity. The base's presence um, impacts economic activity in many nearby cities, such as Cincinnati, where the General Electric jet engine plant is located, which, again, is really funny that, you know, I put this in here because it's like I guess it's like, you know, a little bit of foresight because maybe folks, when they go back and listen to this recording, there's like this whole thing that's going on with General Electric right now. They say it's like the new Enron. You know what I'm saying? Where it's just like this massive, just like, you know, white collar fraud case that's going on. And it's impacted the uh, Cincinnati region as well. Where there was, I was reading some article um, recently where it's like some higher up exec at the um, jet engine plant in Cincinnati is also kind of like, um, he's also sort of like, you know, he's on the hook for that whole fraud case as well. So you know, again, you can just see um, these, these elites. You know, they come into these smaller industrial cities, you know what I mean, that have like a bit of an upturn. They come in and they just like suck the whole thing dry. And then as soon as they're getting ready to get on the hook for doing whatever it is that they did wrong, they, you know, they just bounce and just get up out of there. You know, I'm not saying that like General Electric is going to close the jet engine plant or anything like that because of the, because of this whole thing. But I am saying that you can you can see this pattern continue to, uh, to emerge. The base is considered one of the most important economic drivers in Western Ohio. In March, Trump requested $120.9 million for a new building at the National Air and Space Intelligence Center, which is located there. 
KKK and neo-Nazi presence. Back in 1994, members of the Ku Klux Klan staged a recruitment rally in Dayton, downtown Dayton. The region has been home to KKK activity for some time, and the KKK's presence throughout Ohio dates back more than 100 years. That was... This, that whole thing of the, the 94 rally, I was talking to my girlfriend about that, where I was like, because I, I just remember I was like watching this video of like me as a child. I'm like 92. Like there was like a church, um, like our church is, you know, like my, my parents Baptist church. Um, there there was like some somebody that was like uploading um, like old sort of like, you know, home movie style footage. And I'm like in one of them. And it's like in like the early nineties, it's like 92 or 93 or something like this. And then to realize that like, you know, a couple of years immediately after that, they were like having like these recruitment rallies in the area. I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, like, holy crap. Like the nineties must've been such a, like a really hectic time to be like an adult at Dayton. It must've been so strange back then. Again, like I was saying with the whole GM thing, that's like another one of those things where I just like, I, I love to find people from that time, from that time period that was around for that sort of stuff and like getting statements from them. Cause that that's jaw dropping to me. You know what I mean? And then the other thing that like, I think people really, um, really sort of like put on the back burner, like I said, because, you know, I have serious I have serious problems with the honorable sacred knights of the Ku Klux Klan. I think everything about that, quote unquote, organization or whatever is just like, you know, what I mean, it's abhorrent. You know, they're, they're a hate group. And you know what I mean? They make me sick. You know, that's, <laughs> that's basically the long short on that one. You know what I'm saying? And to realize that, like them coming back to the state, coming from Indiana and then coming to Ohio that that was like some sort of homecoming for them. Like really, you know what I mean? It really reshapes that entire story. You know, Tony Hovater, who helped start the traditionalist worker party, a neo-Nazi white nationalist group that promotes white separatism and a white supremacist view on Christianity also calls the area home. Hovater was recently profiled by the New York Times. Yeah, the, the traditionalist worker party is not really like, you know what I mean? They're not like Richard Spencer levels of like, you know what I mean? But th this is like my whole thing with like people like Patrick, like the El Paso shooter and with Connor only takes one. It only takes one. You know what I mean? So I was like, really, I was just sort of like, dude, like of all the things that you could talk about of from the region, you pick like a neo-Nazi because it's like it's sexy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the New York Times always, you know, the bastion of truth, the New York Times. Right. I mean, I'm just saying that just because sometimes, like, you know, I just have beef with them um, about, you know, some of the some of their context. But. Yeah, that, that's basically as far as I'm going to go in that one. I'm not trying to turn this into like, you know, like me lampooning the New York Times or whatever. But I thought it was very dubious that, you know, they you know, they decided to like, you know, have this profile on like a neo-Nazi who like tries to like hide the fact that like his, his fucking party is like a, he tries to call it like a workers party, but really it's like a white nationalist front. You know what I'm saying? And that whole thing, I was just like, Oh, ooh. You, know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he lives in the region. And like I said, it only takes one, you know, if you got like the clan coming around, you have like somebody who has like, is a white nationalist and has decided to make the, uh, you know, the region home. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, it only takes one. It literally only takes one.
you know, so like if these people are like, you know, passing out their, you know, their propaganda or whatever, they're having meetings and, you know, you know, in people's homes or whatever, all it takes is one of those dudes up under the hood, you know, to go out and get his AR-15 and go, you know, and start spraying or, you know, the inverse where, you know, you have one of them like going to these, you know, to these meetings or whatever. And then they bring that kind of crap back home and then their kids are getting the AR-15s off the shelf. You know what I'm saying? And then going into schools and shooting it up. So, you know what I'm saying? It's not so much as like, but it's like, um, I saw a, I saw the word defined, um, especially during this time, there was like a meme about it. Oh yeah. They call it stochastic terrorism. You know what I mean? Where it's like your rhetoric and the things that you uh, talk about and you espouse leads people to these extreme behaviors. So, um, well, basically what I'm trying to say with this whole thing, with this whole case of Tony Hobbiter, this is definitely one of those, this is definitely one of those sorts of cases where it's like stochastically, you know what I mean? This could have this cascading effect. I, I take the, actually I take that back. It did have a cascading effect, but you know, let's, let's keep moving on. In the 1920s, 15 to 20% of Dayton's population were believed to be KKK members. And the city was ranked in the top six U.S. cities based on clan membership. Ohio once had the largest KKK membership of any state. KKK rallies at the former Montgomery County Fairgrounds regularly drew more than 10,000 people in the 1920s. This is not that long ago. The racist, uh, racist processions took 45 minutes to pass by onlookers. One Dayton member of the Night Riders, the Klan's then activist arm, described the purpose as, quote, horse whipping, tar and feathering, barn burning, bombing a regular reign of terror by comparison the kkk rally held in dayton in may which cost the city six hundred fifty thousand dollars in security and other personnel only drew a dismal nine people to face a counter protest of 600 which you know um i, I wanted to you know I, I always spend so much time like not um not doing streams or whatever because I, I just get so much like i overthink so much stuff and like uh, i don't know i just have issues with just like you know a bunch of stuff like basically like inside my head <laughs> you know what i'm saying and i really wanted to bring that up once i saw that number drop well i was like six hundred fifty thousand dollars i was like fuck me christ you know what i'm saying and i was like six hundred fifty thousand dollars you know the city is like on the inside it's crumbling you spend you you have six hundred fifty thousand dollars to spare where you get you know what i mean where it's like the west side of Dayton, the black side of town doesn't even have a fucking grocery store. You have $650,000 to spend on some clan members for 600 people to show up for like a few hours and everybody disperse. You know what I mean? So, you know, AP and the New York Times can come around and take some photos and shit. I was like, this is disgusting, terrible behavior. You know, everybody a part of the city council at that time, um, the mayor, Nan Whaley, um, everyone, you know, everybody that's like, you know, that was involved in those sort of decisions, man, when it comes time, I'm going to go on record saying that now, when it comes time, they're gone, man. They got to get the fuck out of here. You know what I'm saying? Cause it's like, dude, like what the hell? That's crazy. You know, you, you go to, you, you think that it was a wise idea to spend $650,000 as opposed to telling a literal hate group, a domestic terrorism group. No, we don't want you in your city. I don't care about your free speech. People do it all the time. It's so crazy where it's like, you know, like on these, you know, like especially like right now I'm streaming right fucking now, you know, and all of these websites, they can make the decision to not like, you know what I mean? And, and censor me and, you know what I mean? Kick me off their platforms or whatever. Well, it's like cities are incorporated, right? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? And they 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 had it, it was in it was well within their rights to say no and to tell that clan group to fuck off. But nah, it seemed like a better idea to waste six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I it made me want to vomit. Marin Marin Nan Whaley tweeted about the protests that this quote ugly chapter is over <laughs> little did she know then that like a few months later you know what i mean this guy was going to be spraying bullets in the inner city however in the context of dayton's history to make that statement one must think the book on racism and white supremacy in midwestern cities like dayton has closed but this is not the case Segregation. The Urban Institute ranks Dayton as the 14th most segregated city among the largest 100 U.S. commuting zones. Research by U.S. sociologist Douglas Massey in 1988 found, quote, housing patterns in Dayton and its suburbs to be the third most racially segregated among the 50 largest metropolitan areas in the U.S. I really don't think anything from like the 80s till now has changed. Higher levels of segregation were were only found in Cleveland, Ohio, and Chicago, Illinois. Historically, most of Dayton's affluent white residents have lived east of the river in suburbs such as Bellbrook, where the Dayton shooter was from. The city's west side was and still is largely delegated to black residents. Yeah, man, it is night and day, east and west in Dayton, Ohio. It is night and day. I don't even know how else to say it, man. It's crazy the amount of poverty, the closed grocery stores, the roads, street lights, no, like I said, it's everything is fast food, no grocery stores. It's nuts when you look at it. You're like, dude, what? This is like supposed to be where people live? It's disgusting. It's stomach turning, man. But yeah, let's, let's keep moving on. Historically, racial tensions in Dayton led to a riot following the racist lynching in Mississippi of 14-year-old Emmett Till in 1955. This and other issues turned Dayton into the forefront of tactical crisis intervention, riots, and policing. I was talking to a friend of mine about this whole thing when I was doing a little bit of this investigating. Um, when uh, when this all sort of started unfolding, you know, where it was like going into... Um, going into this time, you know, where like this policing just needed to be updated and things just needed to be changed. And um, because of the racial unrest in places like Dayton, um, the police were kind of just like left with like, you know, empty hands and they were just looking for a lot of answers. So, um, yeah, this is like kind of like how you can tell from like this point. You know what I'm saying? That uh, you really started seeing like the advent of like, you know, riot policing and the, the tactics and stuff like that that they take now all kind of like sprung out of, um, you know, the, the, you know, like the like I said, like the, you know, the, the racist lynching of Emmett Till and then like all the riots and everything that, that came that came after it. Following the drive-by shooting of a black man, Lester Mitchell, on September 1st, 1966, H. Rab Brown from the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, formerly chaired by socialist and civil rights organizer Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, came to the city and advocated for criminal syndicalism. The shooting incited rage among the city's already alienated black residents. The city was in grips of an uprising and the National Guard was sent in. One person died, 30 were injured, and 130 were arrested. The riot obtained nationwide attention and for that reason, then President Lyndon 
Johnson spoke the following weekend in Dayton at a Labor Day ceremony. I feel like that whole thing, you know, I was saying before about with the riots and policing and stuff. I feel like this whole thing of like Lyndon Johnson coming because he wouldn't have come alone. You know what I'm saying? I felt like there was probably, you know, like advisory boards and other people that came around and, you know, they they clearly had to like collect like a fair bit of information about like what was happening. You know what I mean? Because it's like, holy crap, like 130 people like being arrested like at that time. You know what I mean? Is not is not a joke. It's still not a joke now. Imagine like if you went somewhere where you're like in Portland or Chicago or something like that, and you know some some rally got a bit hairy, and then that sort of thing came out. You know what I mean? Like that that stuff is no. It's not a laughing matter, bro. It is not a laughing matter to get 130 people to like house them and process them and all that. You need you really need to know. You know, um, you really need to know what's up. You know what I'm saying? So I, I feel like part of that whole thing, again, it's really funny because it's like, you know, Labor Day, Labor Day just passed. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it, it just seems like Lyndon Johnson coming to Dayton, you know, after, you know, after that whole thing, um, it just seems like, it's uh, again, it's just another thing that, you know, that people were doing um, during this time that I find dubious. You know, residents cited as cause for the riot, in addition to Mitchell's murder, uh, frustration with poor housing, high unemployment, and a lack of communication with city leaders, which are still prominent issues plaguing the city today. Was Dayton never was the same after the riots, and much of that part of the city is still blighted to this day. The schools in the region are among the state's worst performing, and crime is high. Dayton was also where in 2012, two security guards shot and killed Dante Price at an apartment complex. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference, stalwart pioneers of social activism and nonviolent direct action, called on the authorities to examine the shooting as a hate crime. Two years later, in 2014, another African-American, uh, John Crawford, was murdered for holding a BB gun in a Dayton Walmart. By contrast, white nationalist shooter Zerius, uh, I, I should have looked up how to say this dude's name, but I mean, whatever. He's a monster was taken in alive without police firing a shot or putting him in a chokehold. Nor did the killer turn his gun on police. And, you know, like Connor was shot. Connor was shot within seconds. You know what I mean? As soon as he sprayed the people, they, you know what I mean? They, he was he was taken down within seconds. But I found that whole thing of, like, you know, the pictures and stuff from the uh, uh, from the CCTV footage of Patrick being apprehended so telling. You know what I mean? That these guys, like there was even like a clip that came out recently where there was like that dude that was like running around. He was naked. There's like a triple homicide. He came out of his house nude, was choking a man in a parking lot completely naked. And they didn't use a taser, pepper spray or anything like that on the guy. And then the, the only reason I'm bringing that up is like these are those are two examples, you know, the uh, El Paso shooter and, you know, that that recent uh, madman. <laughs> um, they're just more they're just further examples of. You know what I'm saying? Like how there's just like these, there's this other tier of justice, you know, and they could just kind of bring it about whenever they want to, you know. The history of Dayton reveals the politics of a ruling class that is in one form or another continually dividing workers against each other, whether they are minimum wage workers at an Walmart in El Paso, Sierra Vista Mall, or in Beaver Creek where John Crawford was slain, or disenfranchised workers in one of the forgotten cities in the U.S. manufacturing heartland. The fight against fascism pardon, and racism is the fight to connect all members of the working class against capitalism and the barbaric and exploitive forms 
it can envelop. Yeah, that's that was the article, man. That was that was the one that I ended up pinning. It there's there's this, there was just so many moving parts, you know, um, that I really wanted to get at when I wrote the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want it to be this thing where it was just like, you know, I'm like, why? How does this happen? Oh, and I'm like, no, this is clearly how all this stuff happens, man. This is clearly how it happens. You got, you know what I mean? You got these white supremacists literally, you know, driving around and, you know, passing out their, you know, their pamphlets and crap like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to influence someone. You know what I mean? You got these people who are like, you know, completely downtrodden, you know what I mean? The, 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 these industrial cities have like left, you know, whole families behind and like, that's not going to be a factor. You know what I mean? To like, you know, the generation that we're, you know, that that's coming up now and all the things that have happened since 2016, you know, as they call it like generation Z, you know what I'm saying? Like that sort of stuff, like it traumatizes people very early on. And if you don't get these people like Connor, to get like serious help and uh, to think about their mental health in a way that like isn't just like, you know what I mean, pumping them full of pills or whatever, then that's always going to be a problem. You know what I'm saying? And it, I could just I could see the right the writing was on the freaking wall for me. As soon you know, as soon as this stuff happens, I was like, man, there's so many threads that like tie around Connor and the people that lost their lives that day. I was like, folks really got to know, you know what I'm saying? Folks really have to kind of nail that one. But like I said, uh, there was just there was just a lot to kind of just like unpack there, you know. But yeah, I, I wanted to talk to folks about that like on the stream, but yeah, it doesn't seem like anybody is around. Maybe it's probably just one of those things where I just picked a terrible time. But cool, glad to get another stream out there. Glad to, glad to get another one done. But um, yeah, thanks for coming around, you guys. You know, um, maybe you guys will catch it on the VOD and. I'll, I'll see you guys when I see you. Hey, peace. And that's it. That's the one we're going to call it. That is a, another episode of the podcast in the bag. You know, as you know, as things keep moving on and as the show keeps growing, you know, I just again, I just want to say, you get, you know, to you guys, just, you know, thank you guys all so much for coming on this journey with me. I really honestly appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I I hope that we all come away from this thing just just a little bit better and stronger for the wear. You know what I'm saying? And again, just you know, just just thank you guys. I really honestly appreciate it, man. I really honestly do. And I'll catch you guys on the flip side, right? Peace.